Sometimes you just need a quick overview of the news. Other times you need a deeper understanding of what's going on. The Rundown Podcast has all of that, and it's Chicago-based, so you know what's up in your neighborhood and across town. Listen to The Rundown wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is WBEZ's Weekly News Roundup. Each week, our panel takes you inside the biggest stories of the last seven days. This week, a changing of the guard. America gets a new president. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear that I will... A history-making vice president. I, Kamala Davy Harris, solemnly swear that I will... And a new era begins in Springfield. When it's all said and done, uh, and people, sometimes they don't really appreciate you until you're gone, I think history's going to look back well. Michael J. Madigan. Here to help break down those stories and more is WTTW reporter Heather Sharon. Heather, welcome back. Happy to be here, Sasha Ann. Also with us, WBEZ state politics reporter Dave McKinney. Hi, Dave. Hey, Sasha Ann. How are you? Doing good. All eyes this week were on Washington, right, for the inauguration of President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. They were sworn in just two weeks after a mob of Trump supporters stormed the U.S. Capitol. Heather, it's really hard to overstate the significance of this moment. It is really mind-boggling in terms of the amount of change that Wednesday's ceremony represented, uh, not only with Kamala Harris's inauguration as vice president, but you know also the fact that she was sworn in by Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor, who is the first Latina to ser- serve on the Supreme Court, groundbreaking all over the place. And of course, it comes on the heels of a second impeachment of now former President Donald Trump, and then, of course, the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. That is more than enough news mm-hmm. for uh, anybody to try to wrap their brain around. It was so much. Now, uh, President Biden, he called for unity and healing during his inaugural address. Let's take a listen. Today, on this January day, my whole soul is in this, bringing America together, uniting our people, uniting our nation. And I ask every American to join me in this cause. Dave, what stood out for you in Biden's first speech as president? I think going into that speech, a lot of people on the heels of the insurrection, a lot of people were wondering, how is this inauguration going to unfold and will there be disruptions? I think the fact that, you know, it, it looked pretty seamless. There were there were no uh, disturbances or I mean, there weren't even any protests there in spite of all the fencing around the Capitol and the 25,000 National Guard members. You know, I think everybody had a, a, a gigantic sigh of relief after that happened. But the other part of it is that this was a ceremony that in normal inaugurations, it's a celebration. And you know, I remember covering the Obama inauguration in 2009 and looking back over the National Mall there. And it was the largest crowd of people I've ever seen in my life. And, and here instead this time we had, because of the pandemic, you know, flags and, and, and really an absence of people. And so that stood out to me. But I think the main message in his speech, you know, democracy has prevailed. I think at the end of the day on Wednesday, people really felt a change in tone, not only from, from hearing his kind of soothing words, but just the, the change in tone from administrations. It was evident on that first day. Biden signed 10 pandemic-related executive orders to help fast-track vaccinations and and reopen schools. Now, the goal is to administer 100 million vaccines in his first 100 days. Heather, that's very ambitious to me, given we've heard the team is essentially starting from scratch here. How how likely is this? 
I think it's actually very likely. And I don't think it is as ambitious as people sort of will think when they hear that huge number goal. The In the nation, there have been, that would mean about a million shots a day for the next hundred days. We are already at that level, pretty much. Uh, we were a little bit over it yesterday. We were a little bit under it the day before. So it's certainly doable. And I think there's more concern now that it's not ambitious enough. Um, and that will really be dependent on whether the president's effort to use the Defense Production Act to order an increase of, you know, vaccine and vaccine supplies like needles and everything else that goes along with administering the vaccine, whether that can ramp up to get more supply to states and then to local health departments and then to doctors and into people's arms. So it's a very complicated effort, but I think that right now we're on track to meet that goal. I think the question is, is that goal ambitious enough to get us back to some semblance of normal life? President Biden unveiled a $1.9 trillion stimulus package last week. Now, it includes $1,400 checks and significant relief for local and state governments. Dave, this could go a long way here in Illinois. Well, it could. I mean, uh, the size of that, of course, when we're talking about, you know, dollar amounts that begin with T trillion, you know, that catches your attention. And that, that's basically, it, it's just a little under what the stimulus package was that was passed, I think, last spring in Congress and, and signed by President Trump. I mean, Governor Pritzker here in Illinois wasted no time in kind of gushing praise over over what this could mean for, for residents here who, uh, like the rest of the nation, are suffering with unemployment, you know, not knowing whether they're going to be able to pay rent and things like that. And so this package would include uh, these $1,400 checks you mentioned. You know, under the Biden plan, I mean, this still needs passage by Congress, of course, but but these checks would go to individuals who were making $75,000 or less and married couples making $150,000 or less. And if they're, if you're above that threshold, you, you conceivably could get a, a, a smaller portion than that. But the big thing for Illinois, potentially, is the, the, the amount here that, that deals with state and local government relief. Uh, Biden is talking about $350 billion in relief. And that's, an, that, that's something that, that a lot of states, including Illinois, have said that they need in order to offset the big decline in, in tax revenues that the pandemic has caused. Republicans bottled that up in Congress last year. But, you know, there's now renewed hope with, with Democratic control of the Senate that this might have a chance of, of going someplace. Illinois has a, a budget gap, of course. Uh, they estimated about $4 billion. They've got a little short-term relief from borrowing in December. But that money will help deal with a lot of the, the problems that the state has in making, making its balance sheets add up. Heather, Governor Pritzker's plan to help balance the state's budget failed during the lame duck session in Springfield. And the state's facing a nearly $4 billion deficit. What options does he have left? Well, none good or easy. Uh, And I think that was clear from the fact that the governor's plan to sort of change some tax credits that were approved by the federal government, but to not implement them in Illinois. Uh, the fact that it didn't pass in two houses controlled by super majorities of the governor's own party, I, I think tells you just how difficult this upcoming budget season is going to be. However, as Dave mentioned, that all changes if the state gets a significant amount of federal aid. And it's not clear whether Biden's relief package will make it through the Senate or will 
make it through. It will likely make it through the House, which, of course, is controlled by Democrats. The Senate is also controlled now by Democrats, but at a much, much smaller margin. So that, I think, is really what everybody in Springfield is holding their breath to see. The scope of the problem won't be clear until we know whether the state will get federal aid, how much federal aid, and then those hard decisions will have to be made by state lawmakers. But with the inauguration of Joe Biden and the control, at least nominally, of the Senate by one vote on a tie-breaking vote cast by Vice President Harris, that package at least stands a chance of helping Illinois in what is a very dire, dire financial situation. That's WTTW's Heather Sharon. She's here alongside WBEZ's Dave McKinney. And we've got plenty more stories to work through on the weekly news roundup. Stories like these. State health officials say limited indoor dining can resume in Will and Kankakee counties. My main word for you is patience. We've got to remain diligent, but I'm optimistic that we'll see indoor dining and restaurants relatively soon. Chicago Public Schools is calling a potential mass refusal by teachers and staff to work in person starting Monday an illegal strike. They are taking a vote that speaks to the safety of what we need to do in this moment. Let's kick off part two of the roundup with the latest news on COVID-19. Heather, there's been an easing of restrictions with more to come. What's the latest? That's right. So it's clear that the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois did not see a sustained surge of the coronavirus after Christmas and New Year's, which was a huge relief to Governor Pritzker and the Illinois state um, health officials. Um, So because there was no surge, the governor has now been for a week really sort of easing restrictions across the state. In Chicago, that means that indoor dining at a very limited capacity is likely to resume on Saturday. And those rules will mean that no more than 25 people or 25% of a room's capacity could be dining inside with a whole host of restrictions, including masks, when not immediately eating or drinking, as well as no more than four people to a table set six feet apart. So it seems like we are at least through the worst of the second wave of the coronavirus here in Illinois. But if it, there's something that I've learned from covering this pandemic for, gosh, about a year now, is that things can change very differently. What we're seeing now is sort of what was happening 14 days ago, 10 days ago, when the, when because it takes that long for illnesses and the virus to incubate. So things can turn around just really on a dime. And that's why we will, I am sure, later today hear Governor Prisker urge Illinois residents not to let their guards down, even though these rules are easing them. So to be clear, Heather, indoor dining in Chicago this Saturday? That's Correct. happening? That's that's what the data shows. I was looking at it yesterday, so I wrote a story saying it was on track, and I was awesome. very happy to see the Illinois Department of Public Health agreed with my analysis. <laughs> and Dave, elsewhere in the region, you know, indoor dining is now open in Will and Kankakee counties. That's got to be good news for struggling businesses. Well, it, it does. I mean, you know, the the, the local business groups down there uh, are are just eager to get back on their feet, and, and many of them have suffered. I mean, of course, you know, a good number of restaurants uh, and, and, and places have kind of on their own defied a lot of the rules here and, and tried to stay open. But but I would say by and large, the majority of places have tried to adhere to the standards that the public health authorities and Governor Pritzker put into effect. I mean, in Will and Kankakee counties, of course, they've seen sustained positivity rates below 8%, and they've seen, you know, enough capacity remain in their, their hospital systems there 
to warrant this move. So, you know, really for them, it's the same situation that, that Heather mentioned for Chicago. You know, the restaurants are, are going to be allowed to have 25 people in them or 25% capacity. You know, fitness centers can, can reopen on a, on a limited basis. So, you know, it, it's a little bit of a blossoming, I guess. But, you know, I think that these numbers, as Heather mentioned, these trend lines, we have to take a bit of a grain of salt. It's encouraging. But at the same point, you know, we, all you have to do is look in California, for example, and, and these places where the variant that we've seen uh, emerging elsewhere has sort of taken root. These numbers can spike in a heartbeat. And so that's really the concern that I think a lot of state public health authorities have in looking forward. Illinois Department of Public Health Director Dr. Ngozi Ezeke took part in a panel last night with WBEZ, and here's what she had to say about vaccine access. In terms of where to get the vaccine, I guess that's the next big question. Uh, The governor will be uh, launching much of this information. We have a website that will update with locations that you can click on and see where there may be a close pharmacy or local health department pod that is sponsoring a vaccination event. But while it seems both Illinois and Chicago have this sort of infrastructure in place to get the vaccine out to folks, the big question, Heather, do we have the supply? Uh, No. And it is not often that I can just flatly answer a question like that. But it is clear. I wish I wish you were here to see the nod I gave after you said that. Like, okay, (laughs) next question. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So, for example, the city is getting about 34,000 doses of the vaccine every week. Uh, We learned yesterday from Dr. Allison Arwady, the commissioner of the Department of Public Health, that the city is set up to handle 170 thousand doses of vaccine. So that gives you a sense of just sort of how much more vaccine could be getting into people's arms every week in Chicago, but that there just is not the supply. So when we start that next phase of the vaccination effort on Monday, which includes frontline essential healthcare workers, as well as people over the age of 65, that is 600,000 people just in Chicago. So those 34,000 doses, unfortunately, is just not going to be very go very far. Dave, we touched on this earlier, but talk about the Biden administration's coronavirus strategy and how that could impact local reopening plans. President Biden throughout, has he's talked about the need to get schools reopened. And in this case, with his plan, that's part of the theme here. He wants he wants to see a majority of K through eight schools reopened, and the plan that he's talking about includes some money to help them with that. I mean, it's 130 billion roughly in additional aid for K through 12 schools to, to help with that, and then new funding that would also help in testing and vaccines and and what have you. So it's part of his thrust, and and I think this also will benefit schools. Is there there's going to be a cohesive, coherent federal involvement in kind of dictating what the plan ought to be as opposed to a patchwork of every school district does its own thing across the country. So I think that there will, there will be some, you know, strong guidance shaped by science that will, will help kind of govern this process of getting our schools reopened. I want to turn now to Chicago public schools. A lot going on there. Teachers are currently voting on a resolution to reject in-person learning and they're refusing to return to schools on Monday. That opens the door to a strike. Heather, fill in the blanks here. 
Well, this is really just a, the next chapter in the long-running dispute and, and tension between Mayor Lori Lightfoot and the Chicago Teachers Union. This started basically as soon as Lightfoot took office in May 2019 and hasn't let up. And now the flashpoint is the fact that the teachers union says that the school district's plan to keep students and staff and faculty safe once elementary school students go back to school as scheduled on February 1st is insufficient. So they are saying they will not return to in-person learning and it, we will know on Monday. Yes. Get some water. Dave, jump in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, happy to relieve here. I, I think it's a very difficult kind of situation that the mayor has in her hands. And it's, it goes back to 2019 when the, the CTU uh, endorsed Tony Preckwinkle, the Cook County Board President, in her mayoral bid over Lightfoot. And these tensions have existed since then. And I would say they've, they've done nothing but get worse. In Springfield, with the conclusion of the, of the lame duck session, you know, Lightfoot experienced, you know, another setback courtesy of the CTU. And that involved the elimination of a, uh, provision that dates back to the 1990s that bars the CTU from bargaining over uh, class sizes and staff assignments and charter schools and layoffs and the the like. It it significantly broadens what they can bargain for. And uh, Governor Pritzker has signaled that he likely will sign that. And so you have the situation where, you know, kind of from all ends, this worsening situation with CTU is a problem for her midway into her term now. And I don't see any relief on the horizon for her in that relationship. Yeah, Heather, if you if you want to jump back in here, this, you know, could lead to a second teacher strike in just two years. It will. And you saw how seriously the Lightfoot administration was taking that threat by scheduling a press conference this morning to say, this is our plan to vaccinate teachers. However, that plan won't start until mid-February. And since these vaccines take two doses three or four weeks apart, Teachers won't be fully vaccinated until April at the earliest, and people are very, very concerned that that will lead to illness and, frankly, death. And on top of the already bad relationship between the mayor and the school and the teachers union, this is just another level of stress and worry that will reach a a breaking point in the next couple of days. Well, before I let you go, quickly tell us what stories you'll be keeping an eye on. Heather, you first. Well, the city council will meet for the first time in 2021 on Wednesday, and they are scheduled to expand the city's protections for undocumented immigrants as part of a five-year campaign that was really put on hold during the Trump administration as the president and his administration threatened to take federal funding for the city if it continued to protect undocumented immigrants. So that will really be an opportunity for many aldermen to cast a vote to turn the page um, from the Trump administration. Dave, what about you? I have a hard time letting go of Mike Madigan. I think, you know, what I'll kind of be keeping an eye on in, in the coming weeks is, does he relinquish this House seat on the Southwest side that he's held for 50 years? Um, you know, another question is, do we see movement in the ComEd probe that, you know, he obviously is, is enmeshed in? And then, you know, another question is with the change of administration, uh, in Washington, what effect does that have on the status of U.S. Attorney John Lausch here in Chicago? I mean, will he remain in that spot, kind of you know, directing traffic with this investigation, or will he decide he's had enough and move on? 
So those are some kind of angles that, that I think in the future are worth watching. Well, we can't wait to see your reporting on that. That's it for the Friday News Roundup. Thanks to our panel today, WBEZ's Dave McKinney and Heather Sharon of WTTW. Heather and Dave, always a pleasure. Thanks very much. And that's WBEZ's weekly news roundup. Watch this feed for our weekly COVID-19 Q&A with Dr. Mia Termina. And of course, all the great conversations from Reset Monday through Friday. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thanks for listening and we'll meet again soon. If you need a break from the news, WBEZ's Nerd App Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club. Listen to Nerd App wherever you get your podcasts.